Okay, here we are. Welcome everyone to another episode of A Life Economy dedicated to exploring the intersection of technology, spirituality, and consciousness. I'm here joined with Torkum G, sound healer and creator of visual reality. Welcome Torkum. Hey, what's up Cosmo? Thank you so much for having me today. Absolutely. I am really stoked uh, for us to be talking. We've known each other for a few years now. And man, this is a crazy time. I'm curious how the coronavirus has been impacting you as an artist. I've noticed that you know, you've been doing a lot more live streams lately and has that been successful? What is that what has that been like? Yes, a good question. So, as I'm sure uh, anyone tuning in uh, can imagine, you know, the entire events, event production, just going outside, anything having to do with, uh, you know, being around people as, as an industry or as a practice has been affected. I was just also thinking about you know, body workers, massage therapists. So it's just so many um, implications here, but for sure, um, all the festivals, all the uh, events that we usually look forward to through spring, summer, um, even maybe at this point through December, and winter uh, have been either canceled or postponed indefinitely. So it really, it's been incredible to see how resilient artists and especially festival goers and people who construct these elaborate cities for like a weekend, you know, uh, immediately shifted to this pipeline of, hey, let's get our network together. Let's put out this concert next weekend. Let's do it in two weeks, let's do it this, you know, Within three days, this amazing stuff has been pulled off because people are just coming together and they want to share um, mm. art, their voice, their expression, and whatever it is that they, you know, really have been honing in their craft on uh, with the world. And so any other timeline, it's like we wouldn't have the Internet be able to do that. But I guess now we can in a certain way. So, Yeah, absolutely. It is an interesting moment where, you know, we're all trapped inside, but luckily... We, you know, the internet is really our salvation here, right? Like, what would we, what would we be doing with our time? It's kind of hard to imagine, you know, how much time we're we're really spending on our computers now is even is even more intense and more dramatic than than before. It's true, and it's even more of a reminder to just stop everything and get outside and take a walk. And uh, obviously, you know, ten feet away from any other human and whatever it is, the protocols are. Right now, it's hard to keep up. I mean, it's changing every day, and and there's so much we're learning every day about how this thing spreads and how it doesn't, or how long it lives, or whatever the case may be. But for sure, it's a thing. It's 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 a scary thing, and I personally have family who's been afflicted by uh, the virus, so I know firsthand mm -hmm. that uh, it can it can definitely put you out for a couple of weeks in a way that is is hard to remember uh, any other time where that's probably happened to you in the same way. So I, I, that's what I've been hearing from some of the people that I know who've gotten it. And so I definitely uh, think that there's a, also a level of anxiety that we can't really let our nervous system and our immune system um, kind of succumb to. Mm. And I think that's the number one thing that I've learned through 10 years of meditation, um, diving into these, these practices, yogic practices, breath work, sound therapy, is there's a there's this synergy obviously with our system, our body, our surroundings, and when we're not in the flow with that, um, there's so many other repercussions health wise that can can snowball. And 
I, I, I've read, there's a lot of research that shows, you know, just simply looking at art or, or being in a museum and, and going and looking at a gallery can, can boost your immune system, can hmm. boost your nervous system. It's actually good for your health to experience art. Amazing. And the same could be said about music. Mm -hmm. Yes. And this is why the, this is why art therapy is a legitimate medical. It's, it's a branch of uh, actual legitimate, you know, implementation that you find across the world um, for cancer wards and, and, and all kinds of people. Um, art therapy is a way to help people get healthy again. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, and there's a lot of research that backs this up. Uh, I can't cite one on the top of my head right now, <laughs> but if for anyone interested, um, it's out there for sure. Interesting. And of course, your art is producing events as well as uh, sound healing. You produce incredible music that is really relaxing and calming. And you know, from my own experience, going to several of your events and listening to your to your music. Uh, I often come away feeling deeply peaceful and I would love to hear from you uh, how that works, why it works, what are some of the uh, mechanisms of why sound specifically has an effect on our physiology? It's a great, wonderful question. I'd like to start off by um, putting it out there that I'm and I don't know, it's a little bit laggy, Cosmo, but I, I'm i going to trust that everything's fine. And I'm going to keep just going ahead. Mm -hmm. you know, it seems yep. a little bit of a delay here, but um, I'm not worried about that. Okay, so I want to start off by saying that I'm not a medical doctor. Um, and I am a, first and foremost, I'm an artist, musician, performer. Um, and I have kind of been a philosopher and a, and a seeker of truth my whole life, whatever that may mean, seeker of truth. Uh, but always not, you know, going, having an attempt to not leave any rock unturned has been my motto. And so in the last, I'd say, 15 or so years, that's brought me through a range of things from meditation, mm -hmm. energy work, to conscious festivals, to YouTube videos on UFOs and aliens and <laughs> ancient history of secret technologies and cultures and practices and entheogens and the whole gamut of resources that I think are there and rightfully so for anyone with discernment and who's ready to dive in and, and to really come to their own conclusions to be able to explore uh, any of those topics or fields, especially the traditional sciences and how all these things can actually, it, they're it's a multi-layered unfolding of deeper and more refined awareness of how we are not only affecting our environment, but how we're affected by our environment. Mm -hmm. And so that's very much my interest. And, and as how, and to answer your question, to get really granular with it, as far as how it pertains to sound therapy and my approach with it, when I learned meditation 10 years ago, I learned TM, I had to leave LA to go and live in Fairfield, Iowa at the TM headquarters. I lived there for about two years on campus. Mm -hmm. And through daily meditative practice twice a day, what they said what happened to me happened to me. I experienced levels of deep integrated calm, shifts of awareness, shifts of my consciousness, and an overall just complete, almost like a... So 
you spent two years at this TM center. What initially attracted you to go there? And what was that experience like spending so much time there? Hmm. I'm pretty sure, yeah, that was actually after my first Burning Man. So I went to Burning Man, everything kind of <laughs> as as it would. This is 2010. Um, everything got flipped upside down, and I had some experiences that were really, really prolific. One in, one of which was I passed out in this chakra tent. And I had no idea what a chakra even was. But I must have been sleeping in there for two or three hours. It was like fifth or sixth day of the festival. When I woke up, I felt like I had received or downloaded each of those chakra Little, there was this section for each of the seven chakras with mantras on the wall and color-oriented, you know, pillows. And I, I didn't understand any of it when I walked in. And I feel like when I walked out, it was like deeply embedded in me, if that mm -hmm. even makes sense. Mm -hmm. Sorry, it was already there, but you remembered it. Came back. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that, I think that's, that's a good way to put it too. Because a, a big part of what I was reading there was, was almost like, oh yeah, this feels like something I know already inside me, you know, and very much, yes, very much feels like it was more of a reactivation of things inside as opposed to mm -hmm. necessarily stumbling upon something entirely new uh, to me. And I think everyone, any, anyone of your listeners, including yourself, myself, we can really think about it, how our patterns of our life go back so much farther than what we, when we think things mm -hmm. really popped off or started, you know, and you start to see how these patterns are connected throughout our childhood and, earliest memories really and I've always felt I wanted to do something to be in service or help people or do something greater than myself but I've also have to keep that in check because it's like what does that mean you know it's very easy to tell yourself oh you're you're saving the world but who's really saving the world you know there's a lot of amazing people doing great great work out there so so it's quite a thing to live up to and at the same time you know it's easy to be to take a position or a job or a role in life where you may not love it and it may actually even be dark it may not even cause more harm than good but it's a means of living and so there's this whole range you know of choices and uh all i want to do is be the best i can be and create something that is an extension of my own healing and and hopefully can help people and we can step into a new level of like what implications are with that you know uh, sorry, I didn't mean to get sidetracked. No but, worries. Um, can you can you remind me what your question was that <laughs> led yeah, me on absolutely. that trail? Yeah. What? So what? In, what inspired you to go to a TM center for thank for you. two years? So, so so to take everything I've said, yeah. Thank you. Uh, at that point in my life, it was kind of this this. It was right after that two thousand eight nine housing crisis, and and everything was confusing for many many people. And I had to just leave LA, so that's what I did. It was it was amazing. It was like, hey, do you want to come to this campus where there's ninety seven percent funding by grants, um, most of which comes from TM meditators or people who've attended the you know the university who who have given back. So, and it's a vegetarian campus. They taught you Vedic sciences, meditation. Um, it seemed really really cool and progressive, and exactly what I wanted to do at twenty. 223 so I did and um, it was a great choice because it, it was a catalyst for so much growth that led to me finding this quantum harmonics method creating it and then of course um, the history that starts after the point when I came back it's been going on eight years now I came back to LA in 2012 so everything since that point is really 
based off of the, the fuel was the launching pad was this TM University. And um, if anyone out there is a meditator or meditates consistently, you know what I'm talking about. If anyone out there has tried to meditate yet has some trouble with it or mm. would want to master it, anyone can master meditation. It takes, I'll be honest. I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound easier or harder than it really is. I'll be totally honest. If you were to make attempts for three to four days, I'd say by the fourth or fifth day, legitimately you would have a solid meditation. So in less than a week, somebody can go from completely insecure thinking, this is not something I can do. I can't quiet my mind. I can't experience that bliss he's talking about. I, I, I'm pretty sure like 95%, 90% of the people tuning in can experience that with less than a week. If they just stuck to it for more than two or three days because the first couple of days will be hard but then you kind of break through and then you experience it and then you can't go back it starts to become a part of your overall like sensory awareness it's really incredible yeah so tm is interesting to me for a few reasons the first in my research is finding what they're calling the maharishi effect which is this idea that yeah. If we have a certain number of people meditating that the uh, combined uh, field effect of that collective consciousness would have ripple effects that affects the whole planet. And that was, um, oh, I'm getting some feedback there. Weird. Okay. No, everything's good. No, it's all good. <laughs> oh, you're checking in. Um, yeah. So... So that the combined effect so of, of everyone together. Effect, yes. Yeah. So oh. there, they do have some interesting research that they've been compiling um, that, especially around Kosovo. So the Kosovo conflict in the 90s, they sent meditators there. And within, I'd say, a short period of time after is when the conflict ended there. And then, of course, um, they point to some research they did around D.C. as well. Um and then there was some more anecdotal claims that were also made around the university or campus. For example, some things that were said around the Marishi effect as it applied to the town of Fairfield was that Iowa being a tornado rich state, uh, tornadoes would avoid Fairfield. So they would either go around it or just mm. die or fizzle out mm -hmm. entry or it's same with like fires. Like there was this kind of idea that there was this bubble of safety there. And look, mm -hmm. Whether you believe what I'm saying or not, it's totally, totally up to you. It's, and and, and, and I, I don't even know if I totally believe it or not. Um, but I will say this. When I first got there, they used to talk about this feeling you get when you when you come into the, the field of this town. Because there's something like 5,000 meditators that meditate there twice a day daily. So Yeah, powerful. You, you legit feel something in that town. I mean, it's a palatable feeling. And especially when you leave. You're like, mm -hmm. we're not in that bubble anymore. It's just... It's almost like a pressure on your skin. I'm not even kidding. Uh, it, and, and the closer you get to that center where everyone's meditating at those domes, it's, it's the more rich it emanates. And that's a part of what I think sells their um, a lot of their claims is that when you go there, you can't help deny you can't deny that yeah. there's something there, something going on. Yeah, uh, I, so I definitely the Marshy effect. It's interesting, but, but you know. I definitely, I can, Did I can understand that. you know that they have that. a U.S. military? Yeah, they have literally a, uh, the TM organization has a um, TM meditator who's also in the U.S. military who serves as a 
kind of what's the word he's like an ambassador for the meditation program units in which they oversee meditation mm-hmm. the installation of these meditation programs across the world ah. uh, to either instill the Marishi effect mm-hmm. or to just teach lo- local populace um, meditation or, or the soldiers. They also need to learn meditation for their own calm. Right. So they literally have a member of the military who's like an appointed TM ambassador. who's also a TM uh, meditator. How do I know this? Because he taught me. He was my TM teacher. So awesome. I forget his rank, but yes, and he was involved. They literally called it like defense. It was like defense meditation, defense technologies, or they had some term. Yeah. The other the other thing that caught my eye in my research of TM was what they're calling yogic flying. And essentially they're like claiming that humans at some point are going to be able to fly through some activation of the energy inside of us and that was like interesting (laughs) you look and watch these videos of people like like hopping around on their knees and it's like okay is this real like it's like kind of strange to me i mean i've had my own experiences in you know the lucid dream state of flying that feels very real and very natural just as natural as walking so i can understand this um you know capacity of humans to be able to fly at least in this altered state but uh, you know in this dimension i'm curious is that something that you came across at all while you <laughs> while you were there? Or, like it 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 it's, it stood out as as one of those things. I was like, eh, I'm not quite so sure <laughs> about this this program, but it, it was interesting for sure. The flying is a big part of. <laughs> How do I explain this? Yeah, it's definitely hilarious seeing seeing the people hopping around, and, and especially because. You know, it's like no one's quite flying, but they are definitely hopping. They're yeah. hoppers. Um, a few of my uh, friends, you know, my age, they they enrolled in in the pro in the program, so they became siddhas, as we they would call them, and mm-hmm. eventually um, flyers. And so I knew a lot of them. They would tell me what went down in those domes, and as far as um, some really incredible stuff like like some of those guys that meditate in there because remember they have two domes they separate genders so men go to one the women go to the other and you have something like uh, i don't know a thousand plus people in each dome at a time and they're massive so with that said uh i've heard stories that some of those older dudes in there and those older ladies like they have some serious jedi skills like their mm-hmm. sense of awareness of their surroundings and and tapping into things and having access to like information relating to people, things uh, that are around them that the average person just either doesn't pay attention to, or have access to, or pick up on. Uh, it's quite phenomenal. Even even some claims around uh, being able to diagnose and look into health uh, matters as it relates to Ayurveda and picking mm-hmm. up on cues in the physiology and just. It, the whole idea there with everything is how the meditation is integrated around the yogic lifestyle, the Ayurvedic lifestyle, the structures facing east and having a rooms positioned almost like a feng shui architectural component to all of the buildings. And this is great experiment to create a, a literally a town, a city. It's very, very, very small. It's, it's a town, 10,000 people. 
where all these philosophies are, are brought into place and then people meditate daily, twice a day consistently. And so I don't think of there's any other long running experiment like that that's been going on and it's still going on. And uh, there's a lot of things that are to a benefit there. There's also a lot of sad parts that people don't talk about. There's like relatively higher suicide rates in this town. You know, there's some other issues. People don't feel like they can necessarily fully be or express a full part of themselves in a ways because the, the, anything can become dogmatic. And in many ways, this TM thing, you know, you no, you can't say the flying is is illegitimate and a and a pursuit not worth going after and question it because it's because literally everyone there at the entire in the entire school all the way up to John Hagelin down to the top scientists, physicists, doctors, the board, everyone would be like, you're going against the very important core of our teacher and what it is we're trying to go after, and what they're trying to go after ultimately is enough people meditating where anything could be possible, including, yes, potentially humans flying with their legs crossed, like straight up like Aladdin and a flying carpet without the carpet part, uh, just taking off. And so um, I think you have to look at how that's steeped in. And to sum it up in 30 seconds right here, here's what I'll say. He came in with the Beatles in the 50s. He created a whole movement of meditation. He charged money for it. They made a lot, a lot of money. They made a whole organization. It benefited countless thousands of people's lives, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands who became meditators. And then from there, somewhere around the 70s, they started introduced. They're like, ah, eh, we don't have global enlightenment yet. And everyone's been sold that by 1976, we'd have global enlightenment. We have to come up with the advanced meditator program. And then we have to come up with the flying program. That's 3000 or $5,000, you know, and um, then you can become a flyer. And then by 1995, we'll get enlightenment. And then by, you know, it's mm. big. It's this matter of you set you keep setting the goalpost farther mm -hmm. and farther. And what, what is the goalpost relating to? It's about how people are paying money for a program. So there's more people using the program. So enlightenment comes when the guru who's alive. It it it, 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 it's, it cycles back into the same human condition of a cult of personality. Yeah. And a cultish type movement. Mm-hmm. And that's the unfortunate part, because if you zoom all the way back to 1955, 1960, when it was just simply the TM meditation, the Vedic meditation, as it was from the East, um, questionably brought here, by the way, we don't know, because Guru Dev, his teacher, supposedly had a second in line, and it wasn't Mariushi, but that's a whole other topic. If you want to go down that rabbit hole, he wasn't even the one supposed to bring the meditation practice here. That's mm -hmm. a part of why they get a lot of flack as well if you really know the inside is that um there he's it's it's it was trademarked and made into a consumerist product and what it really is is a vedic meditation including a mantra this goes back this goes back uh you thou hundreds and hundreds and hundreds probably thousands of years and yes go ahead well i'm reminded a bit of wild wild country and osho and you know, not to say that they're the same thing at all, but there's, you know, that this blending of spirituality and capitalism that don't seem to go very well, or at least in, you know, that experiment. I don't know if you had watched that show on Netflix about, you know, what went down there. And I believe it was Washington. I'm don't, don't remember all the specific details, but that was a fascinating series, you know, where. Um, well, I think um, it, they had a different approach in the sense yeah. that um, Marishi was a true capitalist. 
And I don't know if Osho necessarily was. He was something. Um, I know Osho liked his Rolls Royces. He (laughs) He had a lot of them for sure. A certain lifestyle for himself. (laughs) Yeah. And I also know that all of his attendees had to change their names and had to wear certain garb and had to eat Mm -hmm. together and had to Mm -hmm. almost like like partake in this uh, group ritual of cleansing their identity and becoming something Mm -hmm. new. And I think he was mm-hmm. facilitating that for them. And that included everything from his breath of fire practice to his just his protocols and his lifestyle, his, his talks, his speeches, his lectures. Um, to an outsider, maybe you don't understand it, but to someone who's seeking that, needs that, wants that type of discipline, they go and find it in there. And then, hey, maybe you end up doing some questionable stuff you didn't think you would do because it's not what you thought it'd be. It, it happens all the time with these movements. And that's why I'm not really for a lot of these movements with these hierarchical, like, guru figures or dogmas or practices that are based around uh, inhibiting certain qualities or or components of our natural human self or overly expressing some of those parts like overly sexualizing group orgies in yeah. the sense of osho there's always this extreme that comes in where you have to not follow and right. you have to get out of your comfort and and and, a, and, and it's a tricky it's a catch 22 because you have to get out of your comfort to grow and evolve and they're trying to sell you on you'll evolve and grow through our program by getting out of your comfort. So we live in a culture, a lawsuit culture. You know, if you barely bump into me, I'll sue you. So how we have this accountability uh, and lawsuit culture that really makes it very hard to have this type of guru leaders that are not able to be then held accountable for leading people to this edge. Really, it's just what their role is in other cultures. Is is this some natural tendency of the ego? Like, I'm curious to understand, you know, why, you know, we in the in these movements, these spiritual communities, you know, there there is this natural, there's this kind of this pure intention to help people and improve the world, and then somewhere along the line, something happens where there is this corruption. There's a power not, discrepancy. Yeah. What do you mean? There's a power discrepancy. Basically, you have you have um, a few, too few. Usually, the problem stems from too few people with too much power. Mm. So you mm-hmm. have you have either one or one person, his right hand per, right hand man or female, whatever it is, who they're basically calling all the shots. And mm-hmm. and what what's happening in these movements is mm. they're naturally attracting people who are seekers, who are healing. Mm-hmm. Who have been abused, who are mm-hmm. who are trying to find something, who are who are getting away from something else, and so a lot of the time, not all the time, but I'd say if you have a pie um, out of your followers, like eighty percent of them are like abused, tortured, hurt souls, and the twenty percent are just are 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 just na- the natural inclined, let's say, seeker who wants to have self development and is curious. May, may, may or may not necessarily have those degrees of abuse, but a lot of them do, and so what you get is. The, this group of people that is easily manipulatable and is easily sold on this idea that through your program, all of their, you know, their salvation, more or less, their connection, it's, it's no different from what the, the prior kings and monarchs represented, which is a connection to divine. Uh, and everyone has their own connection to the divine. There's no one person between you and your connection to your divine self, to your ther- healing, inner healing self. And, and this is called a life economy, a life economy, isn't it? So... It's a future, it's a reality where the value is on life, which is the most important intrinsically valuable resource on the planet 
in the universe, anywhere we know. It's life itself. So with that said, um, a lot of these groups and these groups and gurus and facilitators, they take on willingly, unwillingly, it becomes a part of their persona of this cult of mm -hmm. personality. And so what has to happen is for the new paradigm is people have to be extremely cognizant and aware of where those uh, tendencies may arise and to undo them and, and nip them in the butt and be aware and also redirect the tendency to take a power in a way where it's not distributed. My approach with quantum harmonics is to remind and put the energy back into the individual. I'm not the healer. You're the healer. I'm a technician on a, with a system assisting you on finding your own self through your own journey on your own internal mind. I'll never tell you what to think. I'll never tell you what mantra to use. I'll never tell you what lineage this comes from and what lineage you should be a part of or not be a part of. And there's nothing oriented around having to subscribe to or have a belief system. It's the opposite. I want you to uncondition and unbelief yourself. I want you to unbelief all the stuff that has accumulated by just letting it be neutral because what happens is then we come to our own assessment away from the conditioning and we pick and choose what we really are moving forward this is why meditation works it pulls back puts everything on the table and then we go ah that was too heavy that was too this that was too that i don't need this for my continual forward journey and we pick what we need and go forward with it that's why meditation practice, that's the practice, that's the function. That's what it does, for me at least. I love that you say that you are not a healer. And I, I, I resonate with that because it's true. Like we all have the natural capacity to heal ourselves from, from within, our, from inside. You know, if we cut our finger, it's we have the natural ability to heal that wound. And something so simple is actually really profound, right? We kind of take it for granted because it's something that, you know, happens somewhat often and we don't really think too much about it. Um, but it's true that um, we are able to naturally heal ourselves. And, um, you know, when we engage with uh, people like you and we have we're able to hear the music and these beautiful tones that you're playing um, it is sort of sending a signal uh, to our to our bodies from from within to create a response that you know uh, matches that frequency I'm curious is that I'm sort of like picking at or grabbing at sort of how it works but uh, could you talk a little bit about, you know, some, how the, the frequencies come into this in terms of, you know, what you're playing. And then it, I hear it from, from, from my body, like where, 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 and how does that happen? Well, you do have nerve endings in the ear. And so as sound enters the ear, it actually hits these different points and, and it can carry in that information through really the, the ear, through the brain, through the body. So this, there's a lot more happening with our ears than we initially would think or assume for example we think the ears are just involved with hearing sounds but you wouldn't assume off the bat unless you had the understanding of how also our balance something so important to 
a bipedal upright posture is directly related to our ears and the ability to hear acoustically, spatially. And so the relationship between hearing and our state of being is so just mysterious and so prolific. And it's the one sense you never shut off. Hmm. You, you cannot touch things. You cannot see things. You close your eyes when you sleep. You cannot taste things. You cannot smell things. But your ears are always on and they're always hearing and listening. And so it's almost like the one sense that when you're born is turned on and, and it's on for life. And there's no point where you're not using that sense. And, 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 and to me, it makes a connection that there's something more deeply taking place here with our interaction with sounds. And so to, to circle back um, to your question on the physics of it, I think what's happening is sound has the ability to mimic nature and natural sounds. Mm-hmm. Na- natural sounds affect us because they're the oldest sounds. So if you can imagine lying down in a cave and hearing the pitter-patter of a thunderstorm outside on the rocks, and if you could just imagine that 5,000 years ago, 50,000 years ago, 300,000 years ago, a million years ago, the same sound was happening, the same waterfalls crashing, the streams, the rivers, the wind. So we've evolved from single-celled organisms to multi-celled to amphibious, reptilian, mammalian, whatever, all these things have branched out with these natural sounds as a, a, a very much imp- a, a, value, a, a value that's been set since the infancy of life on this planet. Mm-hmm. And the way we can actually heal ourselves is to connect to or listen to sounds that are natural in their, in their expression. So that's either literally natural sounds, like listening to the sound of water or wind, but it could also be sounds that mimic these movements. And that's what sound therapy is really much based off of, whether it's a gong, a bowl, Mm. a synthesizer, a voice. Mm -hmm. It's the ability to create a movement of sounds that I think mimic natural movement and flow. And then from there, we kind of orient around a restful awareness, a parasympathetic state, one in which the stress hormones involved with like cortisol and these things that are involved with keeping one eye open while you sleep so that leopard doesn't eat your neck. What, what if you were in a steel cube that you knew was safe and you had everyone outside who was protecting you and, and there was security cameras and you slept in and you knew there was no threat in there? You would sleep. I Maybe that's a little claustrophobic of an example. But I guess the idea is if you knew there was no threat, you would have a kind of sleep without releasing stress or stress chemicals or having that fight or flight. Instead, you would have a restful sleep. And the sounds help to balance and to orient our mind, our psyche, and our pace around rhythms and flows that are connected to natural patterns and in which we entrain ourselves and we resonate with in order to change not only our our brainwave systems and patterns, but also to lower stress chemicals like cortisol while lifting through listening through the ears and having a musical enjoyment experience, we actually release serotonin and dopamine and endorphins. So that takes place and you're boosting all these chemicals. So, so, so in essence, the right type of sound listening experience is a, Mm -hmm. is a chemistry experiment Mm. where you're boosting certain chemicals and you're lowering other ones and you're directly Mm. affecting the biochemistry inside. And so it's like alchemy. You're actually changing yeah. your chemical composition on a micro level 
And yep. at the macro level, you're experiencing shifts of awareness around how your mind is perceiving yourself and reality and the problems and conflicts in your life. And I say problems and conflicts because when you can orient, associate with, see and overcome and transcend your problems and conflicts, then there's less of an anxiety leech latching at your neck and nerves and back and brain which is inhibiting your overall nervous system, optimal health, and balance. So the interconnectedness between our emotional pain body, the things we hold on to, our meditative state, our peace of mind, and the rate at which we go through life is such an interesting symbiotic relationship with our chemistry and physiology and the chemicals that we're releasing at any point that also dictates how we are feeling inside. So I guess that's, that's a lot to take in. Uh, but from where I from where I'm at now, about I'd say ten years of pursuing these things, um, that's that is what it seems like is happening here with this mammalian bodysuit of ours. I love what you're saying about sound and music being an alchemical process. That's really uh, fascinating to consider the ways in which what we hear is affecting all the various chemicals inside of our brain and inside of our body. And it's true that when we listen to music, there's really nothing else in the world that is has the capacity to instantly change the way that we feel. When we're listening to a beautiful piece of music, it's, very, it's a very powerful experience. There's really nothing else like it. It's, it's, it's amazing and, and beautiful. And when you talk about these natural frequencies, uh, I know that you often use uh, music with 432 hertz, um, I would love to get an understanding of what that even means and also the difference between 432 and 440. I know there's a bit of history there as well. Great question. I love that question. There's been a very big uh, disservice to, to this whole sound healing movement um, because there's a lot of, as with many things, a lot of misinformation that's been circulating for, I'd say, close to 20 years um, mm -hmm. or more as it relates to this field. And so it's confused a lot of people. When I started this journey myself in 2009 or 10, there was not as many resources. And what it is that I was stumbling upon was kind of guiding me towards a direction. But I never, I, I was always skeptical of all of it until I came across this 432 hertz thing, right? So here's the premise in a nutshell. Um, all the music that we perform or produce in our standard, you know, Western tuning methods and systems are tuned around a frequency. And if you hit the middle A on a piano, it'll vibrate a certain amount of times. And that amount of times for the fourth A, boom, 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 in the middle of a piano is 440 cycles. So when you hit that, it should vibrate exactly that many times. And that is how we set a standard that everyone abides by. Mm -hmm. And that's been the case since the early 20th century. So when I came across this 432 hertz, it was this idea that you tuned down from 440 to 432. Mm -hmm. And the mm -hmm. amount of waves that oscillate in that second right. of time and are, less. are less less by eight. And that is important. Why? Because then you start to get into this numeral, numerology, this interconnectedness of patterns in nature and math, sacred geometry, and how music could perhaps converge with those principles and create this value within um, just by nature of connecting and tapping into that mathematics of the sacred geometrical geometrical nature of the universe itself. Uh, turns out, mm, not likely, probably not the case. But I will say this as a preface. I still mm -hmm. use 432 and I tune down to 432. And I'll say it's an artist preference. I prefer it. It's, for me, the way that I like the tones to feel and sound. And 
when I show people an A-B test, they always go, yeah, I prefer that one way more. And I think it's just the quality of that pitch. It's tuned down. And when you tune up, it's maybe better for uh, movies and jazz and blues and rock bands and commercial music. So I tell people there is no right or wrong. It's just preference. You tune find maybe it's better for meditative work because the tones are expressed differently. And that's the level I bring it at. And so it's ultimately about how we convey and move the, the sounds, which, like I said, mimic natural sounds to evoke an effect, right? Um, the frequency itself is not as important as the relationships between the frequencies are. Mm. The frequency mm -hmm. itself is arbitrary in some degree. It's based off of how we measure a second of time, and that's based off of a bunch of other things. But the point is to then extrapolate that and to say that somehow connects to mathematics and numbers that have to do with an actual physical structure and how a structure is assembled you'd have to really jump to connect those things and no one's been able to do that yet to show the real intersection between why and how any of the sacred geometry and numbers and harmonics that we would converge in let's what we would call sound healing theory would then legitimize them as it relates to sound versus architecture or any other field where these things are found and legitimized in and 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 so it's really one in which it's more about undoing what we think we know about this stuff. And I think there's a book, Leonard Horowitz, he, he's the one who created this idea of these healing frequencies, 528 hertz, maybe yep. some... Right, these special frequencies. Yeah. Because the whole thing is mm -hmm. is bunk. And I, and I say this because there's only one source for this. It's Leonard Horowitz. No one else. He's the one guy who came up with it and capitalized early before anyone else hmm. could define what this stuff was. And his claims were that the ancient Gregorian monks basically used to use these specific frequency values, yet... There's no way they would have even known what those monks were using because they didn't measure cycles per second. They didn't have technology like that. They didn't even know what cycles per second were. Um, and to top it off, he uses this word solfeggio frequency. Solfeggio has always related to the do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, di, do. That's the solfeggio scale. It's a, it's a technique used so you can know where middle C is. Do, re, mi. That's the solfege. And he took it and made this mystical solfeggio frequencies. And he applied this 528 and 964 mm -hmm. and 7. And he related these to biblical things that the mm -hmm. Bible speaks of Jesus on the ninth day, does this thing and this. So all this like pseudo-significant spiritual uh, new age out like multidimensional, sacred ge geometrical, just hodgepodge salad which became a, the copy-paste culture of sound therapy frequencies online. And you get this 528 love frequency is this thing. He claims that that specific frequency, which I'm sorry, guys, but it sounds kind of something like this. Like just simply listening to that has a heart resonance frequency, right? And which, which heart? Small heart? Big heart? I mean... Every heart is a different size. So which heart are we talking about here? Hmm. And then what they'll say is, oh, it's a metaphysical heart frequency. So it's the heart chakra frequency. Then it's like, how do you even begin to measure what the metaphysical heart frequency would be, what the range is, and how you know if you're hitting it or not? Yeah. So so there's all these like, um, we have to really, really undo what we think we know and start over. Hmm. And so here's mm -hmm. my attempt with quantum harmonics. Mm -hmm. Sounds should mimic natural sounds. They should sound like nature. And 
The healing should come from within the user or the experiencer through a combination of ambient passive listening and accessing meditative relaxing states of consciousness. In order to induce harmonized brainwave states and regulated hormones, chemicals, dopamine, endorphins, and cortisol levels. To then experience the sum of all those things taking place within an hour or less, to then experience truly what transformation could be on a, on a micro, macro level if they stay consistent with the practice. So this is what I'm advocating for. This is my solution, and this is where I'd like to take away from what we would call frequencyism, and more towards... <laughs> where we can lear learn more, study, and evolve the field and bring more um, uh, credit and more, more, more um, just of the proper type of critique to it so it could grow where it should. Because there's something here. Yeah, I appreciate that perspective. And it, it, it is somewhat surprising to hear from you know, someone that has been in the field of sound healing for, you know, I think you said, said a decade, right? Like you have a pretty deep uh, set of experience producing these tones and uh, soundtracks and events that are all centered around this practice of, of sound healing and sound baths. And it's it's funny because <laughs> I'm, I'm looking, staring across at a, a folded up set of <laughs> uh, solfeggio tuning forks that I bought a few years ago because I was really excited and interested to, you know, get into this stuff. And uh, you know, I have to admit, like, you know, they're fun to play around with, but, you know, I haven't really uh, used them in a few years. Um, but it's just funny, you're like, you're saying that they're bunk. And, you know, I, honestly, my, personally, like, I don't, you know, know myself whether they're they're real or not. But, um, you know, I trust that, you know, as someone that has been directly involved in this field for for so long that, you know, you know what you're you're talking about. I want people to just remember that anything can be healing if they apply it in their life in the mm -hmm. way that they'd like to, that brings pleasure or joy, including your tuning forks that are staring right at you. It doesn't matter right. what the numbers are on them. What matters mm -hmm. most is how you can connect with and play or perform them and oscillate them and move them in and out to mimic waves or mm -hmm. stars or mm -hmm. other components that are, are, are out there and in us. And if you can do that with your forks, then they're not bunk. But what is bunk is that somebody sold them to you and made money on this idea that simply playing them alone could cure your kidneys or balance your right, heart right, or right, do right. something um, to cancer or anything like that, which, which, which we're getting in this part of society now where it's like any claim could be made and any blog can post it right. and it gets rehashed and YouTube sure. video goes up. And then before you know it, there's this, there's this like false truth. And it's, it's really hard because we're all truth seekers and want to get to the bottom of it. But in many mm -hmm. ways, people want to mislead us and it's easier than ever to mislead people. Um, True. And, and there's, a re there's a whole plethora of reasons why people want to mislead you. Sometimes they want you to buy their product. Sometimes they want you to, you know, it's, it's not all sinister. But we have to do the due diligence and get to the bottom of it and be skeptical and also have uh, arm ourselves with the knowledge and, uh, and, and understanding that Resources are out there and we can learn and access uh, whatever tools are available to, to make the best informed decisions on what we uh, are is in the best interest of our own therapy and healing. So I want to arm everyone with that in a Thank life you. economy. Yeah, beautiful. And I want to get into you know visual reality and the events that you produce, right? That's a big part of your life. And that's one of the primary ways that I have known you through you with... Uh, Michael Strauss and a few other folks on your team have been producing these amazing events over the last two years um, that are 
really at the intersection of a lot of what we talk about here on the podcast, right? You have technology, virtual reality, augmented reality, meditation, sound healing, visionary art, a lot of the things that I'm super excited and passionate about as well. And of course, you perform uh, these sound healing meditation experiences at um, your events. In large part, these are events that are... um, supported by and for the spiritual and consciousness communities here in Los Angeles. And I would love to get your perspective on these communities uh, as a whole, right? Like, what do you love about them and where do you see areas for growth? I love how poignant that question is actually kind of caught me off guard because I was thinking about this today, you know, we so often orient ourselves, a lot of us do, around what cultures we find ourselves in or what communities we circle in. And uh, I think it's very natural for humans to do. They find, you know, where's my tribe? What is my tribe? Uh, and especially in California and L.A., there's so many different cultures, subcultures, groups, and um, interests. So as it pertains to the, the, the conscious, what we'll call spiritual conscious culture of SoCal, You know, when I lived in Iowa, as I was mentioning earlier, it was so easy to be authentic, drop in with people, no compensation, overcompensation of the self. People just keeping it real, you know, and and having like real authentic relationships and 20, 30 people getting together, cooking together and just small town vibes, you know. And then you you come back to L.A. and and first thing I went to was this festival in Malibu and the yoga teacher was wearing all jewelry and had her... Um, breast out was breastfeeding her baby and, and while teaching the class mind you and I, I thought that was so cool but I was also reminded like uh, I'm not in Kansas anymore I should say Iowa I'm definitely in Malibu like this is happening this is a thing you know and cameras are everywhere and so um, what do I think of the of, of the communities here um, I think like any community there's a healthy and a sick part of any any mm. household, any mm-hmm. community, any relationship, sure. Um, and and I think that the community is so well intentioned. Uh, the music festival culture, the spiritual culture. I think it's very well intentioned. I, I think its heart is in all the right places. I think the people who make up these collectives, these 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 cultures, um, are the kinds of people who care about their own health. They care about the health of the planet. They care about um, perhaps bringing a more just and equitable and more balanced um, harmony to the way of life for all people. And I think at the same time, though, what you get a lot of times is this idealistic, like overly Mm -hmm. unrealistic, idealistic, uh, Mm -hmm. eyes closed mentality, Mm -hmm. which is the opposite of what woke culture is. You get almost Mm -hmm. completely regressive kind of people who are against anything new, anything old, especially I should say anything old. This is the issue because there's a lot of wisdom and knowledge in the old. There's a lot of tradition and lineage and and answers in the old. Um, Absolutely. But 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 a part of it doesn't. I think there's this rep- repelling away from parents that told you no. I think that's why people find themselves in spiritual festival cultures. They're part mm-hmm. of a society of black sheep that was told that they had no value and they wanted to go out there and create their own value and they did and. So don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, guys. That's my thing. Like, love your conservative cousins and love your mom and dad. And like, just like live the principles you speak of. You know, you, you talk about 
unconditional love and accepting people for who they are, accepting their differences. And we've come such a long way in doing this. Yet now it's ironic that it's almost the same community is now binding itself from from and, and judging so harshly anyone out in the out who's not in the in culture. And it's so it's such a mirror and a reflection of everything that the culture sprawled out of to be against once again showing you how organizations cultures become over time uh they have a tendency to move towards the same thing they sought to escape wow and in many ways i think that it's an evolution of the cultures and like all cultures there's the imbalanced and the balanced now what's the good part what's the what are the benefits i've already i think mentioned and highlighted some of the things I like about um, the culture here. Um, and I don't want to make this sound like a, I'm being down or harsh on it, but it's very much fragmented, I feel, right now. Mm. Um, between two types or, or more, but two types of distinct perspectives on it. Where there's this one love and light side where no need for fear, no need to look at things, no need to acknowledge things in the world that are dark and just simply resonate with and come from a place of wholeness and goodness. There's another side that's like, but we need to be realistic because there's a tsunami coming, which involves looking at things and acknowledging things and understanding the mechanisms to then avoid problems in the future based off of an assessment of the past and to apply them into real time and to make shifts together and work as a unison. So we're armed with knowledge. And these two sides are a part of the same subculture and they're, they're friends and brothers and sisters and neighbors and uh, people who have so much passion and want the best for the world and for others, yet they have two different approaches, you know, and so everyone's figuring it out. Everyone's figuring it out. That's, I guess, the best I can say. Love it. What is it like to bear the responsibility of showing up as a conscious leader and you know, showing showing up as as a, as a conscious leader within you know the visual reality, you know context, right? You're producing these events for these communities. And yeah, I want to circle what, back to. I would love to circle back to that. Yeah. And what and what has your personal development journey been like? So I absolutely am so uh, excited about the direction my life took about four years ago. Me and Michael Strauss decided to launched the first visual reality series of events with our friend on Shul and the rest became history within a year. Um, I think we were at VRLA and then, and then we did it twice with you guys. We just, mm-hmm. you know, it was such an immediate and fast way to live our principles, invite people into the space to share their work and, and to have that community that was really, um, it came naturally and organically and you can't, you can't ask anything better than that. And, and we're still going guys. I mean, visual reality is stronger than ever. We're just evolving now in this new format. And, right. um, and, and so with that said, um, it's been, like I said, humbling, um, leadership for me is not about moving up. It's about moving in, moving inward. So, so this whole process, I, I don't, I don't want to really, I downplay my leadership in this all. I don't, it's not something I think about too much either in my sound healing or in my meditation facilitation or my work of visual reality. I don't really think about that much. I think more about how I can get my best work forward 
and what means I can take uh, to do that with what partners and in what ways. And so I'm always focused on what it is I can do and in what way to, to continue to get my work out there in a way that seems to be helping people and seems to be providing them with the same relief and the same um, therapy that I got, I've been getting and I get from this work. Uh, and, and that's really where my focus is. Um, of course, I acknowledge that with that comes this, uh, this being attributed as a leader. People look at me in a leadership role or, or sometimes maybe even more than I see in myself, you know, or, or less that comes to the territory. So with that, I, I, I really want, I just want to be as humble as possible and do one of two things, live a kind of semi-private life where I'm not totally out there. I'm just being totally real with you. Like a lot of people reach out and connect and, um, and I love that, but I'm also, I'm in my, I'm in my flow, you know, so I don't always get back to everyone in their messages. So if, if that's one of you, I'm sorry. Um, it's a lot going on, but I want to be uh, here for people. I want to help people at the same time. I want to show up for people. I want to show up for more than myself. And so the way I found a way to do this is through my sound and through creating me mechanisms and delivery mechanisms where it can get out there and can help people in the way that they may need it. That is no different for visual reality. Um, it's the same. We, we were created because we wanted to make an event platform that utilized technology, art, and performance, and therapeutic um, um, implementations, and of course, community gathering in order to explore where these things could come together, you know? And you've been a very big part of that, Cosm. I think you've attended something like five or six of our events back in our original studio and gave us huge opportunities at VRLA to share our work. And we're, we're for sure very, very um, grateful and, and, and humbled by all that you've done to support what we do uh, and have done. So, yeah, I appreciate that. And yeah, I mean, uh, personally, I was really stoked to be able to support you guys and, and feature uh, the what was the visionary art zone into the visual reality zone and at VRLA for a few years. And it was something that, you know, I was always the most excited about because while I loved all the VR and tech at the expo, everything that you guys were uh, producing and promoting within your space in the larger context of the expo was really kind of the, the, the frontier, the edge of consciousness and technology, right? That inner technology, not just having to wear a dorky looking headset, but to um, be promoting things like sound healing and vibrational healing beds and infrared light therapy and of course, meditation and all that stuff that I'm kind of a nerd about. And yeah, I mean, I, I see you as being, uh, yeah, integral to the, you know, spiritual and consciousness communities through your events and through your work. And um, yeah, grateful to have you continue to do that through the live streams and be sharing your content and your magic with everyone through the internet and yeah i have uh one one big question that i want to want to wrap up with before we get into our uh brief sound meditation journey which is how do you relate to spirituality hmm. it's something that i've uh really wrestled with, I should be honest, with maybe 20 years. Um, 
I think in my early teens, I found myself calling myself an atheist because I just mm-hmm. was entering a very logical, like scientific mind. And I, mm-hmm. there's no way there could be a God. It's just impossible. There's no way. Uh, and then, and then from there, I think in my early twenties, I became spiritual, um, mm-hmm. in a way that I never had before. Mm-hmm. Um, I embraced things like prayer and deep contemplation, meditation in a way that felt so just good and right, but I'd never done before. And so I started to really carve out and define what, what my own spirituality meant for me. For me, I think it means creating a space within ourselves that is not about the human condition. It's about the potential for our greater self. Mm-hmm. Um, so what that means is it doesn't have to do with any per se um, symbols or deities or dogmas. It has more to do with making a space within the human temple and, and body and mind mm-hmm. where we can tap in and we are no longer our mind, body, or awareness. We're something beyond all of it. We're um, something that I think what quantum is showing us is it's almost a quantum state. I, th- I almost wish we could change spirituality to quantum. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Because it's like you're tapping into a field that goes against all Newtonian principles mm-hmm. and everything and all the physics and mechanics of the, of of how everything else should work. And in doing so, you can explore a complete chaotic and random and um, very complex, unpredictable source. And it's amazing how much that can inspire and motivate everything that's built on top of it. And I think there's a lot of parallels there, Um, especially when you talk about particles turning into waves, turning into particles. And the way in which we're a particle through meditation, we become more of a wave. And by ending meditation, we reemerge back as a particle again. And so, yeah, that's, I, I can't help but see that meditation is the technology, is such an ultimate technology. Mm. It's also the cheapest, most readily available, uh, accessible to all, and can be done anytime, anywhere, including um, loud airport terminals, bus stations. Anywhere where there's noise, jackhammer, you can meditate next to one. Yes, beautiful. It's an excellent point. And I love that you're bringing some of that Joe Dispenza philosophy in here, right? With the particle and wave information. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, meditation is in a way the ultimate technology, or I should say the body is the ultimate technology. And it's kind of a big perspective shift to see it in that way, because it's one of those things that's staring us in the face. It's like, we don't, because we just, it, we are, we're like, we're this, um, or rather we believe ourselves to be this body. We're so embodied that um, we really take it for granted and um, don't really have uh, a deep sense or appreciation necessarily throughout the day of all the complex process processes that are occurring within our body to sustain life and you know we have ipads and the streaming technology and webcams and it's all the 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 amazing product of the human intellect but there's really nothing else like meditation the, the the ability for meditation specifically to induce states of relaxation, calm, and bliss that uh, nothing else can really touch. So 
I, with that, I think that's a great segue into our um, our closing section here. So, Torkum, you've provided us with a uh, brief uh, sound meditation file that um, I'm going to play, and if uh, whoever's listening, we can all uh, take a moment to close our eyes and. Uh, just tap into this beautiful music that Turkham has produced for us. So let me uh, get that started in a moment. Thanks for having me today, Cosmo. It's been a pleasure to be here and chat with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us. Here we go. Okay. So let's all... Close your eyes. Take a few deep breaths. Just notice the sensation of your back against the chair, wherever you're sitting, or your feet on the floor, if you're standing. Same space. 
and come back into your body. Slowly open your eyes. Hmm, that was nice. Thank you, Torkum. Thank you. There's a lot to be grateful for. You know, this coronavirus thing is um, an interesting scenario that we find ourselves in. But it's funny how quickly practices like meditation and specifically listening to your beautiful music can remind us of all the beauty in the world. You know, even just going for a walk and the weather's nice and I'm looking outside and looking at the trees and the sunlight. I'm like, wow, the world is so beautiful amidst all the chaos and the craziness. There's never been a more important time for people to not get all the information from their internet and TV and to get the information from inside themselves. And I mm. hope that's the lesson that people can be left with today is whether you're a meditator, you've never meditated before, you're curious, you're not curious. Um, this is this is the opportunity, this is the time where that, that kind of practice, that kind of consistency can deliver so much return to someone's mental health physical health, physiology, but most importantly to open one up to the infinite potential and the opportunities that are out there that many times arise just when we're ready for them. That's that phone call, that email, that response that you didn't think you'd ever get and all of a sudden it just shows up and you start meditating. It's weird how that works. Mm. I didn't believe it, but it's true. It kind of puts you in this positive right action and so... The trick is, folks, create the space and consistency. And in less than one week, you'll be a pro, I promise. Just got to do it 20 minutes twice a day. Close your eyes. Focus on the breath. Focus on the calm. Focus on the body. Here's the one easiest relaxing technique I can give everyone that you can do anytime to put you in a deep state. Just imagine that as you close your eyes and you go deeper into a meditative state with your breath, feel that your skin is almost like the layer between your flesh and the air is dissolving, almost like you're letting go of your skin. And if you can feel inside like dropping and letting go of that barrier between you and the outside world, you can feel it and you can come back actually into your body. Like, oh, I'm here. And then you can actually do the opposite and of constrict and you can just release. Mm. If you just remind yourself on releasing, you, you actually experience the whole body stretching out that's a very effective way to meditate without a mantra or breath or focusing mm. on anything other than expansion itself, expansion of the self beyond the skin. Um, it works for anyone. So um, I want to thank you, Cosmo. Thank you for allowing this space and for um, inviting me on to be here with you on Life Economy. And uh, it's been a pleasure to chat with you today. Thanks to everyone for tuning in. Absolutely. Thank you for providing us with your amazing music and for your presence. And this has been a very enjoyable conversation. Where can people find out more about your work? Thank you. So I'm actually going through a whole rebranding, rebuilding, including my website. So people can just find me on Facebook or Instagram, Torkomji, T-O-R-K-O-M-J-I, and uh, shoot me a message on Insta, and also my music page is uh, torcom.bandcamp.com. And I've launched a Patreon. So if you want to join on Patreon for five bucks a month, I'm doing four live stream sound bath transmissions. That's $1.25 a session. It's unheard of. Remember, these sessions used to cost 25 to 30 
in person and now I've made them $1.25. So uh, if you find a lower price, bring it and I'll match it. I don't think you're going <laughs> to. With that said, guys, uh, that's pa- patreon.com slash Beautiful. Thank you, Torkum. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. This has been another episode of A Life Economy. We'll be back next Friday with Scott Weinberg on May 1st, talking about the opportunity we have in front of us to redesign human civilization. Not a small thing. It should be an interesting conversation. That'll happen on May 1st, May Day. We'll see you in a week. Bye, everyone.